some guest, right? I'm blowing them from Zimbabwe. <laughs> from some strange land. Some strange place. Today is the day. And uh, I like that song. And I think it's cool that, that we get to prepare all week long to be here together and worship. I think it's an awesome thing. And I think it's a privilege and an honor to be called one of his and to be able to uh, rejoice in a day like today, created to worship him, created to lift him up, created to um, praise him in a, an amazing, powerful way. And uh, I hope that your heart and mind is, is prepared today, not only to sing, not only to pray, not only to partake of the Lord's Supper, but also to hear God's word and to hear it preached. And uh, we have, uh, we're in the middle of a series entitled Life Changing Attitudes. And uh, we take this, this series from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And uh, we're transforming our minds, transforming the way we think and uh, changing it to the way that God wants us to think. We've talked about a couple of different things and uh, this morning we're going to dive into um, financial things, financial freedom. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now before we go that, I want to just for a few seconds, uh, talk about our um, some housekeeping things. Um, I know that this building is is uh, right now. It's wonderful. It's nice and cool, and everybody has a chair to sit on. So that's a great thing. I know it's not as comfortable as some buildings are and some facilities are. Uh, they are continuing to push forward to get this room built out and to get this room built out and to get us our own space. Um, but they are having a little bit of trouble with this new market tax credit um, getting passed and being approved. And so they're, they're, they're usually done in June. Here we are at the end of July, and it's, it's not quite done yet. And so um, anyway, HNS, the authorities, the people at, in charge of this building are continuing to push forward. They're going to actually go towards Plan B. And because this new market tax credit isn't coming through, they're going to push forward and and try to get some spaces complete. And for some reason, the city of Loveland has left open some of the uh, some of the permitting for this building. So some of the spaces that they had on the previous permits that they didn't finish out, they're actually going to be able to push forward and get those spaces completed. So, with that said, we might get our own space sooner than what we had hoped. So we'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, so the common spaces in this building are costing us about 100 bucks a week or so. This space, that space, once it's done. Um, and one, if, we, if we do get a leased space, a place where we can call our own, a couple of offices, a, a meeting room, a, a place to have a couple of classrooms maybe, um, that will also be about, uh, let's see, we had talked about 1,000 square feet. And... At thirteen dollars a square foot, that's about a thousand dollars a month if you do the math. So thirteen square feet or thirteen dollars a square foot, foot times a thousand is thirteen thousand divided by twelve months um, is uh, just over a thousand dollars. So that's about for the the common spaces that we need to lease and for our space um, will be about fifteen hundred dollars a month. And so as of now, our current building fund, our current commitment to this building um, is we're, we're bringing in about $1,500 a month, which imagine that covers exactly or just about exactly what this building is going to cost us in the future. 
And so anyway, I wanted to mention that. And um, if you're still giving uh, to the building fund, we truly appreciate that. And, and that's, that's going in the right direction. And we're getting things paid for like we need to. And uh, if you haven't had an opportunity to, to dive into that and to be a part of that building fund, we'd uh, encourage you to do that as well. And um, anyway, also I wanted to make a note. If you are giving to that building fund and you are not indicating on your check or indicating in, when you put your money in the side box that it's for the building fund, it's not going in the right place. So make sure that you indicate on your check that that is for the building fund. All right? Any questions about any of that? All right, then. Well, that was easy. That was simple. Now let's talk about some more financial things, right? Well, what, would you consider, um, what would you consider financial freedom? In your mind, financial security, what would you envision if you had to think of what financial security would look like to you? Maybe debt-free, okay? That's a good one. Yeah. What else? You think of anything else? What, what would be what would be financial security to you? Million dollars in the bank, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. What, what would you what would you consider financial security? What would you feel secure in? In marriage counseling, we um, we find that finances oftentimes comes to the top of the list as a hot spot for battles between husband and wife. Does that happen in your home? Yeah, mine either. We never fight about money. In business, if there's a lot of money on the table, if a lot of money lands on the table in a business, what happens? Business partners get a little weird, don't they? Get a little strange. He's like, oh, that's weird. He's never done anything like that before. She's never, she's never acted like that before. That's kind of weird. How about in a family? As soon as grandpa dies and uh, passes away and the will is read, the family gets a little weird, don't they? And, and not just because Aunt Ruth has a beard and it felt weird. They get weird. <laughs> Let's talk about some fictions. Let's talk about the things that aren't financial freedom to start with this morning. The things that aren't financial freedom. Money, for instance, provides happiness, status, and security. That's a fiction. We think it's truth. But that's actually a fiction. It's a myth. It's a very common fiction. We think about it often. And in, in the short run, money what? Well, it does. It does provide some happiness. It does provide, you know, provides happiness. It does provide a little bit of status. It, it does provide a little bit of security. But the key phrase is in the short run. It's only a matter of time before that money runs out. It's only a matter of time before that status runs out. It's only a matter of time before that security also runs out. Status is strange. Whether you're rich or, or, or the boss, people will treat you better, right? <laughs> but it's really hard to tell if they're treating you better because of your position, because of your stat, because of your, how much money you have. It's hard to tell the difference between just more respect because they're kissing up to you or if they actually really do appreciate you. Security's a weird one as well. But really think about it. There's no security in riches. One of the richest men in the world, Carol went to New York with her friend Sarah, and they gazed across the lake in Central Park, and two giant towers, not those towers, two giant towers 
rise up on the other side of the lake, probably 18, 19 floors on each tower. One of those towers was owned by guess who? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is a very wealthy man, one of the wealthiest men in the, men in the world, probably still is, even though he's, he's dead. Steve Jobs thought that his money was going to take him farther than it did. Steve Jobs landed a disease and didn't do anything about it right away because he thought his money was going to be good enough. His money didn't take him very far. There's security and money, but only for a short time. In the end, it will not satisfy. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11 and 12 says, The rich think their, their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Haughtiness goes before destruction. Humility precedes honor. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Fiction number one, money provides happiness, status, and security. Not. It really doesn't. Fiction number two, wealth is a sign of God's favor and approval. When I'm poor, God hates me. When I'm rich, God has favor on me. That's a myth. That's a fiction. There's no connection between those who are rich and God's favor. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. There's no connection between godliness and financial status, security, or happiness. In Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, we find many great men, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets they did all kinds of things for us. Shut lion's mouths, quench fury of the flames, escape the edge of the sword. Weakness turned to strength, became powerful in battle and, and routed foreign, foreign enemies. They did amazing things. Verse 36, it says, Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute prostitutes prosecuted, persecuted rather, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, it says. No correlation between financial status and godliness. These men and women were godly, but they didn't have much. Luke chapter 18, we find a, a, a story about a rich young ruler, a religious leader, and Jesus Jesus, he, he, asked, he came up to Jesus and asked a question. He says, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? We know what Jesus told him. He said, he said go and, and do all of the Ten Commandments. And the guy said, well, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. What did Jesus say? He said, go sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. We often stop there. Look at what else came after that. Verse 23, it says, but when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for, the cam for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus says, What is impossible for people is possible for God. The rich oftentimes cover up their God-shaped hole inside of them with all of their stuff. It's difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. But I want us to understand that there's no relation between godliness, between righteousness and riches. There's no relation between, between being poor and being right. It has, it has no bearing. Your financial status has no bearing on whether you're right with God or not. So the fiction is exposed. Now let's look at some facts. Financial freedom is... Financial freedom is freedom from excessive worry about money. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have. God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. So we can be sure of what what we say. I will not be afraid because the Lord is my helper. People can't do anything to me. There's always going to be some some concern about money, right? There's always going to be some concern. And that's okay. If you've ever been around a person or maybe a small group or in, in a small group or in some discussion group and, and they're more righteous than Jesus and they're, they're you know, full of cliches and they always, always say, don't worry about it, just trust in God. You know what? We should be concerned. We should have legitimate concerns about our finances. We can't lose our job and just lay around in bed and say, well, well, well God's going to write my resume and He's going to bring the interviews to me and, and He's going to provide We can't expect him to just bring job offers to us and serve them to us as breakfast in bed. God's capable of doing that. He's done that in the past. But it's our job to get out there and get it done, get get the job done. We don't just sit around and say God will provide. God will provide, but it's through oftentimes through our hard work that God provides. Financial freedom is freedom from excessive worry about money. Don't worry about money. Don't let it dominate your life, your relationships, your decisions. Matthew chapter 6. One of my favorite passages of scripture about this, concerning these matters. Starting in verse 25. It says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether your clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than food and to put in your stomach and more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to job description, careless in the, in the care of God. And you count far more to Him than the birds. Has anyone fussed in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so, so much as an inch? At this time, all this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. <laughs> Flowers don't shop. But have you seen the color and design quite like that? The 10 best dressed men and women of the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? and take pride in you, do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, 
so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and, and, and the way He works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how He works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Financial freedom comes when we free ourselves from excessive worry about money. The second fact is financial freedom comes from being free from the endless pursuit of money. We want to be free from the endless pursuit of money. Proverbs 23 verse 4 and 5 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches appear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the blue yonder. Ecclesiastes is written by one of the richest men in the world. Look at what he says in verse, verse 10 of chapter 5. It says, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I've got it all. But you know what? It's not enough. It doesn't matter how much you have, it will never be enough. First Timothy chapter 6, and starting in verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You know what? U-Hauls don't go to heaven. They don't. We can't take anything with us. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Excessive worry, endless pursuit. We can't let, us, let it plague us. Those are the facts. Now, if you're timing me on this message this morning, I want you to set the timer back to the beginning. Because that was just the intro. We talked about the facts and we talked about the fiction, right? That's just the intro. Now let's get down to the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. This verse is printed on all sorts of coffee cups. And it wasn't on mine, but I wrote it on there. Philippians 4.19, right? We see it all the time. Often we see it on Jesus junk, if you want to call it that. You know, t-shirts and, and coffee cups and all that kind of thing. And we think, oh yeah, this is, my, this is my promise from God. And I'm sipping on my coffee cup as I'm saying that this is my promise from God. I, I am claiming this promise of God. I want us to look at it. Because this promise comes with conditions. We always need to read the large print because God always puts the large print right there with the small. He doesn't hide it. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you don't, look at the screen. I want us to read this promise from God. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. It says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. What a great promise, right? 
It's an amazing promise. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing, beautiful promise. But it's not a promise to all Christians. There are conditions. Most conditions are in the small print, right? You go buy a car and and you have to read the small print on the back. You have to read the small print. Maybe there's five or six pages when you buy a car. There's always the small print, and you have to be careful about that because most conditions are written that way. But God always leaves conditions in the large print. The problem is, is that too many of us read our coffee cups and not our Bibles. We see all the promises. We hear all the things that God's supposed to do but we don't actually read what God actually says he's going to do. Other passages of scripture like Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. You know what that one says, right? All things work together for good. What? And that's where we stop, really. All things work together for good. But there's more to it than that, right? This promise of freedom was based on the Philippians pattern of generosity these people had a pattern of generosity that built this up to where Paul could tell them you know what this is a promise from God because of you see the conjunction there between between chapter uh, let's see verse uh, verse 19 right there at verse 19 it starts it says and what does that mean what's that and therefore It's kind of therefore because it's kind of a therefore. And what? The and kind of stands for because of what you've done in the past. And God. Because of what's it before this, God will. Look at it. Starting in verse verse 14 of chapter 4. It says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. How many times has the Philippian church taken care of Paul? Above and beyond what they're supposed to be doing in their own congregation. How many times do you count so far? Look at that. At least once in Macedonia, when he went, went to Macedonia, and then look what he says, how many times in Thessalonica? More than once. Could have been two, could have been three, could have been five or six, right? So already there's, a, there's sort of a trend going on. Now that I desire your gifts, which, what I desire, not that I desire your gifts, he says, what I desire more is to be credited to your account. Verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So once again, they are sending more gifts to Paul. Do you think Paul's the only one that the Philippian church gave to? Do you think that Paul's the only one, the only mission that they supplied to, the only person that they gave to? I don't believe they, that he was. I think that this was a pattern for the Philippian church. I believe this was a, a way of life for them. They were a giving and generous church. And Paul goes on to say, verse 19, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory 
in Christ Jesus. Why isn't God meeting my needs? Because the Philippian promise was based on a pattern of generosity. We have salvation based on a relationship with God, right? Salvation flows because we have relationship with God. But having our needs met flows from a pattern of generosity. Now that we understand the passage, let's get practical. You want to do that with me? Let's get real practical. We're going to call this the 10-10-80 plan. This is the 10-10-80 plan. You may have seen this plan. You may have heard of this plan. You may have your own plan that's better than this plan. But this is a start. This is a pattern of, of generosity that I'm talking about. Generous people prosper. Stingy people are always in need. Why is it a 10-10-80 plan and not an 80-10-10 plan? Because it comes off the top. The first 10 comes off the top. If we want to be a part of this 10-10-80 plan, we need to give some today. We want to give 10%. We want to give 10. Guys, tell me something. If, if your wife was a good cook, let's just say she was, for instance... She might be. She might be the most amazing. But even if she's not, even if she's not, let's pretend. Let's pretend that she was a really good cook, okay? And every night, the meal was prepared, and she laid it out on the table, all this fresh food for the family to eat, and went around and served everyone at the table this beautiful, fresh-cooked meal. And then when she came to you, gentlemen... She went to the fridge and pulled out yesterday's meal, put it in the microwave, warmed it up for a few minutes, and then put it on your plate. And that was the trend that sort of went for the next, oh, two, three, four weeks. And that's just kind of the way it was. Dad got the leftovers and everybody else got the fresh cooked meal. How would you feel, guys? How would that make you feel... I mean, I love leftovers. I love leftovers. I really do. I, some, some things actually taste better the second time than they did the first time. I don't know how that's possible, but sitting in the fridge, sometimes they just like, they brew in there. And when they come out, they actually taste better, right? But not all things. Have you ever had, have you ever had fried chicken the day later? Like greasy fried chicken. You get it out of the fridge and it's got that nasty, clear like gel stuff around it. It makes me want to gag just thinking about it. But think about it. How would, you, how would that make you feel? Guys, be honest. Getting the leftovers wouldn't feel very good to me. And you know what? That's what we do to God when we take care of everything else and give Him the leftovers. That's why this plan is a 10-10-80 plan, not an 80-10-10. Because sometimes, and you know how it goes, there are some evenings when you're sitting at the table and mom and dad used to joke, they used to say, oh, it's going to be a clear day tomorrow. What does that mean? That means that all the food on the table was eaten, right? And some of you don't have teenagers yet, but when you do start getting to where you have teenagers, the table is cleared off sometimes. There's nothing left. So what does dad get the next day if all the food was eaten? 
You get nothing. When we give God what's left, most of the time, there's nothing left. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord your God with your wealth and the first fruits from all your crops. Then your barns will be full and your wine barrels will overflow with new wine. Give some today. Start with something and work towards that 10 mark. It may, it may not be possible in your budget to, to give 10%. It may not be possible. But you know what? You need to work towards that amount. And give off the top. Say, okay, this is how much I'm going to give. I'm going to give, maybe I'm going to give 3%. And I'm going to work up to that 10. Take it off the top. As soon as your paycheck lands in your bank account, as soon as you look at your budget, budget, take it right off the top and say, God, I'm going to give you this part right here. This is how much I'm giving you. I'm going to work up towards the, towards the 10, but here's how much I'm giving right now. Give some today. Start with something and work towards that 10. Do you ever feel like someone's cutting holes in your pockets? Why is there a hole in my pocket? How come every time I have a pocket full of change, a bank account full of money, some cash in my wallet, it seems like it's always gone faster than I expect it to be. In the book of Haggai, we hear that God is one, the one allowing something for them to experience. He's allowing them to experience something. He's allowing them to experience loss. They were taking care of their fancy paneled houses and God's temple was laying in waste. Read the book. It's only two chapters. Have you ever found Haggai in your Bible? Okay, here we go. Back to camp, right? Haggai, chapter 1 and verse 6. Ready, go. Find it. Come on, snap, snap. What do they say at camp? Go. That's what they say. Go find it. First person to find it, stand up. Oh, see, we already got one. Oh, there you go. Nice job, bud. Haggai, chapter 1 and verse 6. Find Haggai. This book of the Bible is very short. It's only two chapters. Find a time sometime this week to read the whole, the whole book. And then you can say at the end of the week, I read a whole book of the Bible this week. Okay? But look at Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6. Thank you for the Bible drills. That was fun. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. Later on down in, in chapter 2, it talks about they expecting to get a 20 bushel crop and they only get 10. They expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press and they only get 20. God sent disease, mildew, and hail to destroy everything that they had worked hard to produce. Why? Why was God allowing this to happen? Because they weren't giving to Him first. The temple was a big mess, and they weren't even working on it. They were concerned and focused on their own home, not on God's house. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, some people give much, but get back even more. Others don't give what they should, and what? End up poor. Whoever gives to others will get richer. Those who help others will they themselves be helped. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, 
that they may have something to share with those in need. Who's stealing? I don't, I don't steal from people. I'm an honest worker. I don't steal. Who does God call a thief? Who does God call a stealer? Probably not accurate or probably not good English. If we aren't giving God the first ten, he says we're robbing him. You might say, well, I just can't do that. It's a, the budget's just too tight. I understand, but work yourself up to that ten. Give off the top. That first ten needs to be given to God, His church, the local congregation. I have a question for you. If you don't give off the top, if you don't give that first ten, why not? Why is it that you have decided to not give that first ten? I want to tell you something. You really can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Try it. You won't be disappointed. God promises a storehouse of blessings. The first 10 of the plan, financial freedom goes to God. The second 10 is to save for tomorrow. We live in a culture that every time we get a raise, we get a few extra bucks, we get some, uh, some sort of windfall, we go out and spend it the next day. Flip, uh, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, it says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Been there, done that. I have, I've been there, I've been in that spot. I know how that feels. When you get that extra, you know, somebody, grandma sends you 20 bucks. What do you do? Oh, I know what I'm going to spend that 20 bucks on. I already have it planned out before I even get it in the mail. I'm thinking, oh, but grandma's going to send, grandma's going to send, okay, she used to send a dollar for every year I was born, right? That stopped to about 15, but because it got expensive after a while. But I remember planning ahead. Like that 12 bucks is going to land any minute, like any minute. She might be a day or two late. She might be a day or two early, but it's coming. I already had it spent. I already knew exactly what I was going to buy with that $10 or $12. Foolish. It says, but the fools spend whatever they get. Do you ever notice how crisis and opportunity don't ever send an email before they happen? They don't. Crisis just lands in your lap. And opportunities to help others just land in your lap. And it, they don't send an email. They don't say, hey, by the way, knock, knock. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to blow a hole in your tire this week on your way to work. And they don't, they don't send any warning. Why do we save 10? For moments like that. Don't devour all you have. It's not going to be easy to be generous and to live below your means. But you know what? If we always have a tendency to compare ourselves to others. And we oftentimes we compare ourselves with, with our peers, right? What kind of job do you have? Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're a preacher. Maybe you're a truck driver. Whatever it is that you are. Maybe you're a, a trainer. Maybe you uh, mow lawns. It doesn't matter what you do. You always compare with those around you, right? Okay, so who, who else? Uh, what, what, are they, what are they driving? What kind of house do they live in? And, and you know, what kind of clothes do they wear? I compare myself to them. 
I look at the other ministers in town. And if they're driving a nicer car and mine's not quite as nice, I'm like, you know what, I should probably get one of those. I should probably... I want you to understand that they are pretending. Those of your peers that have all those nice things, they are pretending that they can afford them. You move into that new neighborhood, right? You move into that neighborhood where it's a little bit nicer. Uh, we've lived in a trailer park our entire lives. And, but we moved from one side of the neighborhood to the other side of the neighborhood. And, and I remember feeling better about ourselves when we moved over to the other side. When you move into a new place, you start looking around. Like, well, I just, I, I, now we own a house, so maybe, maybe our car should be upgraded too. Because look at what everybody else is driving on this street. And we think, you know what, we need to be like them. And we go into debt just like them to have what they have. So instead of pretending and having our debt way up here and having our standard of living way up here, let's take two steps down. One for the 10 we give God, one for the 10 that we're going to save. Let's start living below our means. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult for a while. But let's see what happens. If we can live below our means and start living like living this plan, a 10, 10, 80 plan, you know what's going to happen? Those pots that we grab from, the emergency pot, the, the 10 that we've saved, the, the pot that we have to be generous with, you know what? They're going to grow. They're going to get bigger. We're going to find that we have more and more in those pots because we have been generous. We're living below our means. It doesn't matter who you are. You compare yourself to others. We need to live a couple steps below our peers. Trust God instead of MasterCard. Tend to God, tend to save. The two derailers are on those things. I kind of mentioned one of them. Pretending is one of them. Proverbs 13 verse 7 says, A pretentious, showy life is an empty life. A plain and simple life is a full life. Let's take a couple steps down and live below our means. You know what? It won't be far. It won't be long before we're actually living at a standard far above all those around us. Because God's blessing pours in so much that you won't even be able to compare. There won't be any comparison to your life when you start looking at it later. In Texas, they call it big hat, no cattle. You know what? Are you pretending? Don't pretend you can afford it. People drive these fancy cars. You ever, you ever drive through, and we lived in a trailer park, so I, I drove through the trailer parks. You ever drive through the trailer parks, and you see the bright, shiny red Corvettes, and you see the bright, shiny... Uh, why? They're pretending. They think they need those things. You don't need those things. It's hard to stop pretending when everybody else is. The next one's assuming. The things that are going to derail that savings, the things that are going to derail your, 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 your 10 that you're going to save is assuming. We assume the kids are going to stay healthy. We assume the car is going to continue to run. We assume the garden is going to produce a crop. We assume that there's going to be a Christmas bonus. We assume that we're going to get a raise every year. We assume that that college degree is going to make us more money. We need to stop assuming Look at Proverbs chapter 27, starting in verse 23. It says, Know your sheep by name. Carefully attend to your flocks. Don't take them for granted. 
possessions don't last forever, you know. And then when the crops are in and the harvest is stored in the barns, you can knit sweaters from the lamb's wool and sell your goats for the profit. There will be plenty of milk and meat to last your family through the winter. Tend to God, tend to save. Why? Because there's going to be crisis once in a while that you need to prepare for. You want to have financial freedom? 10, 10, 80 plan. Proverbs 19 verses 2 says, Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and they are angry at the Lord. <laughs> I always taught Danny to measure twice and cut once. Measure twice and cut once. Why? Because if you mess up and you cut again, it only gets shorter. And Home Depot doesn't carry board stretchers. They don't. We need to plan. We need to not assume. We need to plan ahead. Pretending and assuming are the things that are going to kill us. And then number three, we need to enjoy the rest. 10, 10, 80. You know what? Enjoy the rest. There are people in Christian circles that are more holy than Jesus, and they're, they're more spiritual than God, and they're, they're more biblical than the Bible. They say use all your money to dig wells in Africa and spend all your money on, on taking care of, of, of poor countries. All good things, very, very well-meaning things. But I want you to understand, but you get yourself in a place where you can, you can do your 10, 10, 80 plan, and you can start making it 20, 20, 60, and you can start making it 30, 30, 40. Now you're talking. That's better. That's more like it. You know, the 10, 10, 80 plan is just a start. You'll be amazed at how much more available you have up at the top two when you get ready to go for, for the rest. God wants us to enjoy the 80. I'm not saying take everything you have. That's, that's not a command that he gave all of us. He gave it to the rich young ruler. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. God wants to enjoy the other 80. Enjoy the blessings that he gives. Believe me when I say this, generosity is addictive. It's really fun. And it may take you farther than you intended to go. But God wants you to enjoy the blessings that he has given you. When Carol and I give our kids something, we find them something really cool and we, and we give it to them. We don't take it away just because they start to enjoy it. Do you do that? To your kids? We don't. And God doesn't either. God gives you things that he wants you to enjoy. Don't sit around thinking, oh, I'm a bad Christian because I have things. I... No, that's not what he wants. He wants you to enjoy life. Enjoy the 80 that God is blessed with. First Timothy chapter 6, we're going to end with this verse, verse 17 through 19. There's three things I want us to notice here. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, which richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. What? Yeah, for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, we'll store up treasures as good foundation for their future so that they may experience true life. Don't be proud. Just because you have money, don't think you're better than others. Two, don't trust it. Like I mentioned before, you alls don't go to heaven. Don't trust your money. And thirdly, be generous. Learn a heart of generosity. 
And here's the greatest thing about the 10-10-80 plan. I mentioned it before. But the pot from which you have to be generous, the pot from which you have to save is going to grow as you put this, this plan in place. It starts by dropping to a level of living that's below our means for a while so that we can save 10 and give 10. You'll catch up to those who are pretending. You'll pass them up in their standard of living in a very short time. Then the coffee cup. The coffee cup that has Philippians 4.19 written on it. Then you can claim that promise. The promise that God is going to take care of all of your needs. Big emotional response to anything really doesn't change our lives. Think, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get started with that 10, 10, 80 plan. That sounds good. One-time decision really doesn't go very far. It only goes a short distance. Hear this if you hear nothing else today. A big change happens with a long series of short steps in one direction. A big change happens with a long series of short steps in the same direction. You may be a long ways from a 10, 10, 80 plan. It may be so far out of your mind. It's like, wow, that's, that's way out there. Make short steps in that direction. The more steps in that direction you can make, the better off you'll be. We've looked at the facts. We've looked at the fiction behind financial freedom. We've looked at what it really means, what the Philippians 4.19 passage and promise really means. And we've looked at how to be practical. A 10-10-80 plan. Let's put it into practice. Let's see what happens when we do things God's way. God's message, your move. Short steps in one direction. I hope that you've been blessed by the things that we've been able to share today. And I know that there's a lot of other things that we can talk about when it comes to financial things. But I hope that you can grab a hold of just a little bit. Start taking short steps in the direction of financial freedom. The world says it's one thing, but it's not. They're pretending. God promises something completely different. Let's dive into His Word. Let's not just read our coffee cups. Let's read God's Word about what this promise is. Let's start with a pattern of generosity. Thank you for your attention. It's going to pray and hope that there's some things that we've shared today that can bless your life, can change the way you do your relationship with God and uh, the way you do uh, the things you do. Thank you for being here today. And uh, we've got great things going on uh, this afternoon, this evening. Um, and right now, kids are going to go to class, and I probably used it. Oh, we're doing not too bad on time. Um, kids are going to go to class, and I think everybody, all the kids know where they're going. And us as adults will break up into small groups. If you can stick around, there's some. Uh, there was some. Oh, there's still there. some discussion guides. Break up into groups of five or six, and um, there's discussion guides right here. And uh, find places all over the building here, and we'll split up into small groups and discuss. Um, the things that we've heard this morning a little bit further, and um, I think that'll be a good thing. All right, anything else I need to announce before we dismiss? All right, let's be standing. We'll look to God in a word of prayer and um, be dismissed. Kids can go to class, and adults can break up into small groups.
And then we meet back here starting about 4 o'clock this afternoon with uh, the different electives. So be planning for that. Let's look to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for your opportunity today to look into this passage of Scripture, to dive into it and try to understand it better. I'm a long ways from where I need to be. God, please bless. Help us all to take small baby steps in the direction that you want us to go. Help us not to buy into the world's uh, ideas of what financial freedom and security is all about. God, helps to buy into your ideas. Helps to, to Im- embed a pattern of generosity within our hearts. God, thank you for, um, for sharing these things with us today. God, I pray that you'll bless the rest of our day and give us safety as you travel and bring us back again safely this evening for our elective classes. And please bless our discussion times and our, our kids' class times as well. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.